DF Voices, conversations over a cuppa with Dementia Forward, care and support for life. Hello, this is Fiona from DF Voices and we use these podcasts to speak to a variety of people who are doing some really great work out there in the world of dementia and we introduce them to you. I'm really happy today to welcome my guests from the Yorkshire Ambulance Service. Laura Williams, Dan Lindley and Mark Spedding will be talking to you today about a project that's ongoing in the ambulance service right now. So um, I'm going to welcome you all. I'm really excited to hear about the work that you're doing. Um, I'm going to come to you first, Laura, because your role as Dementia Project Coordinator um, is a newly created role, which I think shows the commitment that there is out there from the ambulance service for this project to start and continue. Hi, Laura, to start off with. Hiya, how are you? I'm fine and you're looking great. Um, Do you want to tell us a little bit about the project and uh, your role in it? Yep, so um, I'm Laura Williams. I am a newly appointed Dementia Project Coordinator, as you say. Um, It is a new role within Yorkshire Ambulance Service. And I think previously we we made a commitment to work towards becoming dementia friendly and with other work streams and things that have been in place, it's maybe not had the full focus that it's needed up to this point, which is the investment of my position to come along and try and make sure that we achieve that goal. So the the goal is to become dementia friendly by 2022 um, and be recognised by the Alzheimer's Society as such. Along with that, we've got some key objectives that have been set by um, a company called AACE, which is the Association of Ambulance Chief Executives. And they've got a best practice dementia guide, which outlines certain things that they want every ambulance service across the country to strive to achieve. Um, So those things are to develop person-centred care that support the patient living with dementia. We'll keep saying patient, obviously. I know it's person, but in our world, people are patients. It's the way that you talk, isn't it, rather than anything else? Um, To develop a, a skilled and effective workforce able to champion compassionate patient-centred care and recognise the early signs of dementia, Um, to modernise our approaches to communicating by seeking and acting on feedback from people living with dementia and their carers to improve the quality of the service that we provide, to become a dementia-friendly organisation with environments and processes that cause no avoidable harm to patients living with dementia, and to develop effective partnerships with local agencies to improve care and outcomes. So previously, we started this journey quite some time ago. We have been working towards becoming dementia friendly for a while. We're building now on the foundations that were previously laid. So things like there was some um, new training developed and there were some tweaks to ambulances out there. And we're just building on that work that's already been done to make sure that by 2022 we're in a position to achieve that dementia-friendly accreditation. That's absolutely brilliant. You know, and it's great to hear that a big organisation like Yorkshire Ambulance Service, because you you cover quite a large geographical area, don't you? Which area do you cover, Laura? We do. So the whole of Yorkshire and the Humber. So it's massive. Yeah, absolutely. a huge area. So you come across loads of people who are going through a really difficult time um, on a daily basis. Um, so dementia will will crop up, I would imagine, pretty often. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? So um, I think there's there's three different strands of work within Yorkshire Ambulance Service. We've got our 111 service, which people call for advice and signposting into other um, healthcare settings. 
We've got our emergency operations side. So when you ring 999, you'll get an ambulance. That's the, the more commonly known route. And then we've got our patient transport service that provides the non-emergency transport for people that need to get to places such as hospital appointments. Um, statistics say that one in 10 of the people that we care for have dementia. And last year, in our patient transport service alone, there was over 52,000 journeys for people living with dementia. And bearing in mind we had COVID, so actually the numbers were significantly reduced because people weren't going to hospital as often. So the chances of us treating or providing care for a patient that's living with dementia is really high. And therefore, we know that we need to make sure that we're doing everything that we can to improve that patient experience. And we're really lucky today because we've got Dan Lindley, who is a paramedic. First of all, hello, Dan. Hello. <laughs> can I just ask you, what, um, what issues as a paramedic have you seen um, that makes you uh, believe that this project is, is a, an essential part of your, your work now? Um, I think for me, the first real big issue for me happened during my student time when I was a student paramedic. I've witnessed a few times when we get the call for a dementia person that people are often deemed to lack capacity when they have dementia before we even get to the patient and make an assessment of capacity. So there's pre-assumptions that are happening in an ambulance prior to getting to a patient. And on one particular incident, I remember going to a care home for a lady with dementia and the whole interaction that was there happened where with the care staff and not with the person that we're being called to see. And it was like a little grain of sand in the back of my mind that mm -hmm. really bothered me mm -hmm. because nobody had spoken to this person with dementia. Nobody had assessed their capacity. Nobody had put them, as Laura was rightly saying, at the centre of their own care. And it, it really grated on me. And I didn't realise how much it had an impact until I came to do my dissertation at the end of my university course uh, and I wanted to look into a little bit further and I think that that for me was the key issue that there's these presumptions made and that people are overlooked somewhat because of the dementia status let alone how the person is or how they're presenting and then coupled with that there's just sort of other things like um, when people have memory issues it can be difficult obtaining an accurate and appropriate history from them so I went to a chap who cut his hand and he thought he'd done it at work, but this gentleman lived in a residential care home. So getting knitting the pieces together can be quite challenging at times. I suppose all of your training as well is kind of patient-centred. So every time you go out as a paramedic, you're looking at the patient, aren't you? And then all of a sudden when it's dementia, you're kind of not. So there is a little bit of an imbalance there, isn't there? I think so. I mean... It's difficult. I mean, the training isn't in our, the way we're trained is it's not part of our curriculum to be trained on patient centre care or dementia, people living with dementia as a patient group. It's not part of our national core curriculum and it's up to the universities to decide if they're teaching that or not. So we, when we get access to people living with dementia or any patient really, it's all through practice and you learn through your mentors and the people that you're working with as to how to approach certain scenarios. It's everybody really, you know, and, and there are other patient groups that are equally as excluded from their care uh, as people living with dementia. But I think none of them should be excluded. Everybody should have the right to be involved. The law states that people have the right to be involved. And for me, I think that people living with dementia are some of the most vulnerable people out there. And if they're being bypassed and they're being overlooked, there's something fundamentally wrong. And 
we need to challenge that those preconceptions, those pre-notions that people can be consulted. We can take the history from them and then they can down the line make a decision about whether they want to remain at home or go to hospital or see a doctor, you know, um, rather than defaulting to what we call proxy decision makers, such as care staff or family members. I would imagine uh, as a member of the emergency service law, this is all time consuming, isn't it? And you're working to um, a time schedule quite a lot of the times. So whilst we have this um, idea that it would be nice to sit and to really get to grips with the person with dementia and to understand, you know, the guy who you're talking about in the care home who cut his hand, um, sometimes like time uh, restrictions stop you from doing that, don't they? Do you find that you need to work around stuff like that? Not really. I mean, there's, there's only two real-time constrictions that we monitored with in the 999 side of stuff. The response time is critical. That's kind of how we get funded and what we're measured against in terms of other ambulance services and national frameworks. So we need to get to people quickly. And then the other bit is if it's an acute presentation, such as a heart attack or a stroke, then we have a time constraint in getting that person to a place of care, definitive place of care quickly so that they're, they're in the right time frame to get the treatment that they need. Most often not, people tend not to fall in those categories. And then this kind of opens the time window massively. And we can and we should be using that time wisely to give these people the best level of care we can. And if we have to sit there, make phone calls, take histories, talk around things, mm-hmm. then that's what we have to do to make sure that we're not just bundling people up and taking them to hospital because that's the easiest and quickest thing to do. I think that's um, something that really needs to be highlighted out of this because I know in a previous conversation with yourself, Laura, um, we spoke about how older people and generally um, people who are living with dementia, the person is older, they have a block against ringing for help in the first place. Um, what, What do you think you're going to do about that? Absolutely. So um, one of the key things that I'm doing is engaging with yourselves and loads of other organisations out there to reach these people that are living with dementia and their carers to just alleviate some of those worries, talk about the differences between why you might ring 999 and 111 uh, and give people the confidence to know that if they feel that they need to contact us, then that's exactly the right thing to do. And through our triage system, we can make sure that they've received the right help first time. That doesn't always mean that you're going to get an ambulance on blue lights and sirens. There are so many other things now within the Yorkshire Ambulance Service organisation where we can signpost to other other things. So it may be that um, you speak to a nurse over the telephone or we can transfer you to 111 if it was something, say you'd run out of medication and you panicked and didn't know who to ring. There's lots of other alternative pathways now in place to make sure that people get the right care that they need when they need it. So just if you feel that you need to ring us, then hopefully I can educate people into into using the right pathways and building that confidence level up. So if if I'm not sure, if something happens to me at home and I'm not sure uh, whether to ring 999 or not, because 999, we have it in our head, don't we, that it's an emergency number. You only ring it for a real bad emergency. But what happens if I get it wrong? What happens if I ring 99 
and and it's not really that much of an emergency what what happens then would I would I be told off or you know would absolutely you not no definitely you wouldn't be told off you would be asked some triage questions which start by asking things like is the person breathing are they conscious and what's happened and then we've got some time to capture some other information and triage that call asking some other questions and it may be that you know you'd panicked and 999 wasn't the right thing but that's okay no one's going to be saying that's the wrong thing to do and we would get one of our nurses or clinicians to contact you back to discuss the options further it might be that they can get in touch with your local GP um, or it might be that they say oh actually you know you should go up to A&E we can organize an ambulance to come The triage system is in place and is wonderful at what it does, but sometimes we do need those clinical conversations to just reinforce that that's the right decision for that patient at that time. But no, there will definitely be no telling offs. And am I right in saying that if if I ring 999 and it's not a 999 call, you can then put me through to somebody else? I don't have to stay on the 999. I, I don't have to put the phone down and then ring somebody else back. You can do that for me, can't you? So um, in Yorkshire Ambulance Service, we're quite unique because our 111 control room system is linked within our organisation. Now, elsewhere in other areas of, of the UK, that's different. So if you were to call 999 for a reason and it turned out that actually that was a low category graded response and, and it was more appropriate to maybe contact your GP or do something via another pathway, such as go to an urgent treatment centre, we can transfer the call through to 111 and then they can take over to process that right appropriate care pathway. And that works in reverse the other way. So if you were to call 111, which is the urgent advice service, rather than 999, which is for the more immediate life-threatening response, and they felt that actually your response needed an ambulance, they can organise that ambulance for you. So the systems talk to each other to make that happen. So I think, you know, if you're unsure, then 111 is a great advice tool out there to be used. And they can signpost to pharmacies and to urgent treatment centres and to GPs, whether that's in hours or out of hours. And then the 999 service is there for emergencies. See, that's really important, I think, for people to know, isn't it? Because we all think that, um, you know, you ring one number and you just speak to that one person. And if you want to speak to another person, you've got to ring another number. But the fact that your system's all joined up um, just makes it so much more simplistic, don't you think? Absolutely. So I'm going to come back to you, Dan, because I've just I just heard at the beginning of this that um, you're pretty newly qualified. So just tell us a little bit about... Um, how long ago it was that you turned to be a paramedic and, and started to work in the service? I was working as a DJ prior to all this and I made a conscious choice to come to healthcare and paramedic seemed like an ideal role for me because it was it, it seemed out of all the roles when you look at nursing, meds and things like that, for the short time we spend with our patients, and bear in mind I do consider two hours a short time in the grand scheme of things, it did seem to offer that patient-centred care approach. So that's why uh, I leaned more towards this, that you were with one patient for that amount of time and you could try and get to the bottom of things the best way you can. And I started all that in 2016 and I qualified 2020 after four years at uni. And I've been on the road now for about a year. And did I hear that you've got a qualification in dementia? 
Not quite. Um, I've applied for funding to start a PhD research project um, through the university that I studied at, and that will be a four-year PhD project. And I specifically want to look at um, how we as emergency health care providers interact with people living with dementia and to see if they are put at the centre of the care. It's really fantastic that young people coming through the service are kind of looking uh, forward thinking because I just think years ago people had quite bad experiences didn't they when they when they came into the healthcare system and it's still not great now by the way but listening to what you guys are doing gives us a real sort of hope for the future that things are progressing in the really right way. Um, I'm also conscious now that uh, Mark uh, is, is on the line um, and I can't see you Mark but let's see if he's still there can I hear you? I'm still here. Good afternoon. Hello. How are you, Mark? Right, Mark, you work in patient transport services. Is that right? I do, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've been in this role just over two years now. Prior to joining the ambulance service, uh, I was actually uh, a fraud investigator working for a blue chip company in the UK. So it was a totally different um, change of career for myself. I originally uh, wanted to be an ECA, uh, an emergency care assistant working uh, on, on the blue light side, the A&E side. Uh, but I missed the cutoff for the application process and then decided to go down PTS and uh, did my training out on the road. And I absolutely love it. I, I think it's a career move that come a little bit too late for me, but I love my job. Great. What, what problems do you see, Mark, when, it, when you come across people who are living with dementia in your role? Um, to be fair, to echo to, to what dances really. Um, I, I mean, the cells, we, you know, non-urgent cases to and from medical treatment or discharge from hospital back to an home or a care home environment uh, and I think sometimes you, you do find yourself talking to the healthcare professional and not talking to the patient and uh, and what changed my focus was uh, my mum bless her cotton sock she passed away in 2011 um, after suffering from dementia for a number of years and, and we used to do the same and it brought it home to me that we very rarely asked mum what, what mum wanted. We, we did what we thought were right for mum at the time. Um, so now, you, you know, having a different slant on it and, and, and talking to the patient, but you do get channeled to, to, to dealing with healthcare professionals rather than the patient themselves. Yeah, I know. I, I feel that myself. Um, it's a real struggle, isn't it, to try and get get the person who, who has the dementia to actually answer because very quickly some people will jump in and just answer that question straight away for you. And I'm, I'm living with my dad, who's got dementia, and I, I find myself doing it quite a lot. I'll answer for me, dad. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, a, it's a really difficult thing to like stop yourself from doing. So how do you how do you sometimes do that when people do answer for the patient? And, and, you, and yeah, you really but, I mean, to be fair, it's it's sometimes you, you know depending what they're doing, it's probably needling down at the side at wheelchair if we've got them sat and asking how they're feeling and what they want, and do, do they realise what's happening? And, and sometimes, you know, they don't realise what's happening. So we have to, you know, I go through a process of telling them what's happening, where they're going and what we're going to be doing. Sometimes they don't understand. But but sometimes when you ask somebody with dementia how they're feeling, they can actually tell you how they're feeling. Mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, how, how how they want to be treated and how they want to be moved and cared for. And, and I think that's a major part now. And, and, and discussing it with my colleagues, um, you know, and, and getting around to doing that and... and and not ignoring healthcare professionals, but involving um, our patients with dementia in that conversation and making sure that I know how they feel before I actually move that patient. 
I think that's um, that's absolutely the way forward, Mark, to be quite honest with you. I mean, do you think that, Dan? Because if you ask somebody how they feel, then somebody else can't really answer that question for them, can they? No, and quite often I find that, whether it be family or care staff, that that does happen quite frequently, that people do want to even answer those questions. Oh, they're fine. Oh, the head hurts. Oh, the hip hurts. It's like, well, can you please let the, the person speak for themselves and so that I can understand where they're coming from? So it, do, it does happen frequently, and it is hard to mitigate that. I was once told by care staff, don't bother asking them any questions. They don't know. They've got dementia. And I was like, I was absolutely flabbergasted. Yeah. And the lady had broken a wrist and it was quite obviously deformed and broken. Mm. And um, she was quite against hospitals, but I explained that I think her wrist was broken and I think she needs to go get it x-rayed at the very least. And she was like, oh, well, if you say so, then that's fine. Uh, yeah. And that came from the patient, not from the carer. Mm. So as, you know, as Mark said, you know, they know how they feel. People know how they feel. All of us know how we feel. We can't single out a person living with dementia because of the diagnosis. They mm. are still, we are, we are all those individuals. And we wouldn't conceive the notion of asking Laura how you feel, Fiona, mm. you know? I'd ask yourself. And I think that this is what we need to stop thinking about is the fact that there's this, big umbrella diagnosis of dementia over the top and there's a person sat underneath it. We need to Absolutely. look at that person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you think about this uh, project that the Yorkshire Ambulance Service are doing? I think it's overdue to some some extent. And I think it's great that, that Yaz are seeing this as a priority and they've, you know, from the top down now, and they've got executive support of, of, of Laura and the team. And uh, I, think, I think it's a wonderful step forward and we can really sort of, I think it's be great to get in touch with everybody that needs to be the valued stakeholders is a proper term, isn't it? But those people who need to, this will impact on, mm. can have that that input back to Yaz, and then from the top it can trickle down mm. and, and make the changes on the ground floor, hopefully, mm. and and get people's mindset changed a little bit. You know, mm. it, it's easier for people like myself and Matt to say to colleagues, you know, you should be doing it this way, or can we do it this way? But that has a very small impact and it's quite tight an impact mm. but um hopefully with the top-down approach it will have a big wider reaching impact across the whole organization and improve things for everybody what about you mark because you've you've lived with um a parent with dementia do you think that this will make a difference oh yeah absolutely absolutely um, I couldn't agree with Dan anymore. And, and I think some of the challenges that we come up against is, is, is again, and, it, and, it's, and, and I think it's because it's happened for so long um, at hospitals and wards and clinics, is, is that we need to get the right information about these people. So, we, so you know, if it's patient-centred care, then let's ask about this patient. And let's, get the, let's get the right information from this patient so we can provide um, a better service than we're providing now. And we are providing a good service. But I just think that the scope for a little bit more, and I am so glad uh, from a personal perspective and, and obviously from a ass perspective that, that it, this is coming along and it's moving at quite a pace now. Um, I believe in it passionately, like you say, my mum, you know, I were very lucky. I come from a large family uh, and we all chipped in with care. But I just think it's absolutely fantastic. And, and I've been, you know, I, I started working on the Dementia Project sort of nearly 12 months ago now, but because of COVID and everything else, 
Um, it dropped by the wayside for having meetings, but it's gaining momentum now. Um, and I was so quick to jump back on board. And I think it's fantastic. I think it's really, really good. And I just think that it can do nothing but better um, for our patients and for YAS as an organisation. I think you're right. So there you go, Laura. You've got you've got the um, support of, of staff. It's it's the management who who need to push this from from the top down. Are you going to be able to do it? Absolutely. Yes. Um, we do have strategic level support. Um, we do have an abundance of you know wonderful staff who genuinely care about patients um, and dementias is one of those conditions that touches the lives of so, so many people. Um, just through the, I'm only on week seven of being in this job and the amount of staff members that have come to me and shared their stories of being carers for their loved ones that have had dementia. Um, it, it's, you know, it's touched so many people's lives. It's a really positive thing that we're doing um, and it can only enhance the patient experience for the better. Um, we do have some some training that's going to um, address some of those issues that Dan and Mark have talked about to improve early recognition and incorporating carer and patient to make that person-centred care approach better. Because sometimes it can be that people don't listen to carers and they hold really valuable information as well. So it is twofold. Um, but, you know, the, the general consensus is the, the care that we provide is is great um, and by just doing some other bits and bobs along the way we can make it even better we are engaging with um, carers and we are engaging or going to be engaging with hospitals as well so as Mark said about getting that right information we need to make sure we're getting the right information to make sure that the journey is is the best that it can be for that patient so there's lots of different work ongoing um, but in six or seven weeks that I've been in in role we've made some really big strides forward already so I'm really excited to see what the next year brings. It sounds like you have made huge strides already so Laura you are the right person for this job I do believe. Um, and you're right, you know, you are part of this person's dementia journey, aren't you? And we talk about it in Dementia Forward that, you know, the person with dementia goes through a journey. And if every part of the journey is done the best way that it possibly can, we're not saying that living with dementia is great, but you can make it the best journey that a person can possibly have. And we also know as well that if a part of the journey breaks down, well, then that can cause real um a real crisis within the family so yeah it's absolutely brilliant the work that you've been doing and the work that you are going to do the work that you're going to do in the future um i, I know that you've created a survey laura because this is this is another part of your work where you want to get feedback from people who have actually used your service and and to build uh, on that do you want to tell me a little bit about the, sur the survey and what you want to um get out of that Absolutely. So the survey is um, for anyone that is a person living with dementia or their carer to complete. It is an online survey that I can share the link to for you to um, distribute out. And it's to get some baseline information about how people feel using Yorkshire Ambulance Service. So it will ask questions like whether you are the, pa the person living with dementia or the carer of the person living with dementia, um, if you've used any of your Tramblin services before and which one of the three services that is, so is that 999-111 or patient transport services and what your experience was like. So in words, giving us some of the positives, 
and giving us some areas to work on and what would you do differently if it was to happen again? Because it's really important that along the way we capture the thoughts and the voice of the people living with dementia to shape what we do going forward. There are also going to be uh, moments to engage in creating the training plan that's coming. So hopefully by August time, we'll be delivering some patient facing training. And I'm hoping to capture some of those people's thoughts that are living with dementia about what that training looks like. And if we've got that right, because it's really important that, that they support what we're doing. Well, so this survey is crucial to what you what you want to achieve, really, because what you want to know is what's people's experience been like in the past? Has it been yes. great or has it not been so great? And if it hasn't been so great, well, then you want to know why, because that's the only way that you can create a training package to actually make your service better. And the stuff that you are doing right, you want to enforce that as well. You want to keep on doing it right, don't you? So this survey is a really critical part of the work that you're doing in your role if people are listening to this and they say right I've got a really good story or I've got a not so great story I want to fill this survey in just tell me how they do that so it's just a link that would take you to a website with an online form um, really easy to complete there's only about nine questions on there and it's really simple to use and submit how do I get that link uh, is it on your website or how do so, I get it to click on it? Dementia Forward have the link. So you guys can send it to anyone that's interested. But yes, it is on our social media platforms. It's on our external website. Um, or if anybody wants to get in touch with me, I can give you my email address for them to get in touch and I can send them a copy out. Okay. So anybody who wants to fill this survey in, Dementia Forward, we've got a copy of that link. We can send it on to you if you want to contact me. You can also contact the Yorkshire Ambulance Service. I would imagine if you rang anybody, they would pass you onto the uh, page that you need to go to to fill this link in. Otherwise, you can email Laura. Do you want to tell us your email address and we can keep it out there? Yeah, that's fine. So it's Laura, L-A-U-R-A dot Williams, W-I-L-L-I-A-M-S, 47 at nhs.net. So get those surveys filled in. We're already helping the Yorkshire Ambulance Service with these surveys. We've sent them out to a huge raft of people who we know, and we're going to be really promoting this because I think uh, the work that the Yorkshire Ambulance Service is doing at the moment um, is exceptional. I think the fact that they committed to um, this dementia project um, uh, is, is absolutely vital to the service and also uh, for ship and future services of the ambulance service so i just really want to say thank you so much today to laura and dan and mark you um you've just spoken um some great stuff there uh, really enlightening um and i'm really hoping that the people who listen to this will actually follow your survey and uh, give you some some feedback that you need so that you can actually continue uh, doing the great work that you're doing thank you so much uh, mark yes thank you very much indeed it's been a pleasure Thank you. And thank you, Dan. Continue with your great stuff, Dan. No problem. Will do. Thank you. Thank you ever so much, Laura. Thank keep, you too. Keep in touch with us. Valuable. Well, keep in touch with us because, because we're going to continue supporting you. So it's a two-way thing, isn't it? We're going to be working together Absolutely. for a long time, hopefully. Definitely, sir. Thank you. If you want to speak to one of our Dementia Forward colleagues, you can always call us on 033 578 592 
And remember to follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And thank you so much for my guests today, Laura, Dan and Mark from the Yorkshire Ambulance Service. And thank you so much for telling us about the great work that you're doing. Hope to catch up with you again in the future where you can give us an update. Thank you. If you need our support, please call the Dementia Forward Helpline on 033 578 592. Care and support for life.